Heavenly Father, just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that you've given us to gather together, to study your word, to worship you, Lord. I just pray you'd set aside distractions, you would set aside anxieties, you would set aside anything that is not of you and anything that is not of your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, as we read your word and as we study your word, that you just touch our hearts, Lord, speak a timely word to each one of us. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we are grateful for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, please open up to Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3. So we're going to be taking a break from the book of Acts this week. We will resume that next week, our study through Acts chapter 7. We're looking at Stephen, a man full of faith and power, a man who is now on trial for his faith in the Lord. So we'll continue that next week. But today we're just going to be back in the Old Testament, and we're going to be in the book of Daniel. And you know, I was thinking about this week, it's just, we live in a time where it's very difficult to live for Christ. We live in a, in a world, in a time, where being a Christian is not easy. Being a little Christ and acting like Jesus Christ is something that can be a great challenge each and every day. You know, we have a church that consistently compromises today in our world. And it's becoming a great challenge for the church to live in holiness and to live in the way that Christ had told the church to live and to operate. So today we're going to study about three men who are faced with a decision. Are they going to hold on to their faith in the Lord, or are they going to compromise? The word compromise, it means to accept something below your beliefs or your morals. It means you set aside what you believe in, and you believe in something that you were once against. And unfortunately, many Christians do this today. So before we read the passages, I'd just like to give you a little context so you have an idea of, of what we're talking about here. The book of Daniel was written over many years. As Daniel himself, the prophet, he lived under four kings. And during this time, Israel was taken into captivity. And the reason was, was because Israel was very rebellious. They backslid and they turned away from following the Lord. They were given up to idolatry. They were given up to harlotry, and they just turned aside from following the Lord. So the Lord chastened his people by sending them into captivity. So in this particular chapter, we're going to read about a king named Nebuchadnezzar, very long name, Nebuchadnezzar, and he was the king of Babylon. Now, Babylon was a great empire, the world's greatest empire at the time. Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on the planet in this time that Daniel was writing in. Now, when Babylon overtook Israel and took Israel into captivity, the king, he wanted some young men who were articulate, some young men who were educated, and some young men that could learn the ways of Babylon, the language, the education, so that they can serve the king as advisors, as counselors even. And so, if you read the book of Daniel, Daniel was taken to be one of these young men, and so were his three friends. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Those names might sound a little foreign to you because a lot of people know them by their pagan names that were given to them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were, were taken before the king and they loved the Lord. They honored God with their lives. And because of this, God blessed their obedience and their faithfulness. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were exalted into great leadership positions within Babylon. So we'll pick it up in chapter 3, verse 1, 
and we'll see what we're going to talk about today. So let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 6. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its width, 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace." So we see here in these verses that Nebuchadnezzar, he made a new command or decree. And this command was that everyone living under his domain must worship a new golden statue that he made of himself. Now, my Bible translation says 60 cubits, and most people don't use cubits. Maybe you never even heard of what a cubit is or cubit measurement. But in feet, this was a 90-foot statue that Nebuchadnezzar had made of himself. He made this big statue of himself. Now, you know, I was reading this and I was thinking, why did he do this? What was the point? I mean, he was already king. He already had full authority. But he did this to test the people's loyalty to him. He wanted to take the people's loyalty, whether that be in their God or in anything else, and he wanted it gone. He wanted the people to know that he's in control, he has full authority, and he's the only one who should be worshipped. You know, Satan doesn't operate quite differently today, does he? As a matter of fact, he does the very same thing that Nebuchadnezzar has done, and he does it in today's society and in the world today. Satan wants nothing more than the name of Jesus to be removed from anything around us. And he wants himself to be accepted, his ways to be practiced. Satan likes to imitate God. He knows he can never defeat God. He knows he'll never be God, but Satan wants to take God out of the equation. If you remember, before Satan became the devil, he was once an angel, a very great angel in the presence of God. And he wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be God. He wanted to take all the authority upon himself just like Nebuchadnezzar did. And we see this today. Satan is very deceitful. He's a master of disguises. He's the father of lies. And he wants to be worshipped. And he wants his ways established in this world. And watch this. He wants his ways established in the church. Satan's a very powerful foe. Now, I'd like to read a couple verses from 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 18 through 19 because the disciple John, he warned us of these things that are going to happen in the earth. Look what it says in verse 18. John said, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming even now, Many antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. 
For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. John tells us that there are many antichrists in the world today. And if you couldn't figure it out, an antichrist is anyone who is against Jesus Christ. The word anti means against. They are against Christ. And we see this happening in today's world. We see many false teachers. And we see all of the tools and the devices of Satan to remove Christ from every aspect of our lives. The devil does not want Jesus Christ in your government. He does not want Jesus Christ in your school books. He doesn't want Jesus Christ in your church. He doesn't want Jesus Christ in your family. And above all, he doesn't want Jesus Christ in your life. The devil does not want you to follow the Lord. So please be aware of this. We read about Satan's attacks and we read about Satan influencing Nebuchadnezzar's heart to take people's eyes off of God to worship him. And Satan's devices and his attacks have not changed. They haven't changed. They've simply evolved with today's changing society. Satan still has one agenda, to remove Jesus Christ and to take people's eyes off of him. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, you don't have to turn there, but he said, brethren, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. We're not ignorant of his schemes. And so what about you? Are you ignorant of Satan's attacks? You know, maybe it's not a 90-foot statue of Nebuchadnezzar that is trying to take your eyes off of Christ in your life, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's the worry and the anxiety in your heart. Right? Maybe it's lack of fellowship. What is stealing your heart away from the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let's see what happens next. We're going to look at verse 7. So verse 7, look what it says. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, and lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music... All the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This is a fascinating verse. I find it fascinating because Daniel is very careful with his wording. I want you to look again what he says. He says, all the people, all the nations, and all the languages fell down and worshipped this gold image. All the people who were under the domain of Nebuchadnezzar worshipped this image of himself it's amazing all peoples all nations and all languages because see satan's attacks and sin is not a national problem it's a problem in every single nation in every single language in every single culture in every single tribe of the earth and this is why jesus commanded us in the great commission to go into where all the world and preach the gospel to who every creature because the whole world is under the sway of the devil It's under the sway of Satan and his attacks, and it's under the disease of sin. Now, when I was thinking about this, and I thought of the verse, you know, in the New Testament where it says the whole world is under the sway and influence of Satan, and I was thinking about it, and the Lord just encouraged my heart with this. As a church and as Christians, we don't have to be afraid of Satan because we understand that Satan is a defeated foe. He's already been defeated. Christ has conquered him. So get the comic book idea out of your head of who the devil is. That the devil is some very powerful enemy who's a big threat to God and who can overthrow God. That's not the devil. Christ has already conquered and defeated him. And when we put our faith and trust in the Lord, it doesn't matter what hardships or trials Satan throws at us, we can overcome. The word of God is powerful enough to penetrate any heart. And the word of God is powerful enough to break through all the lies of the enemy. So be encouraged. 
Maybe there's a person in your life you've been ministering to for years and you just get fed up with that person because they're so hard-hearted. You're like, this person will never be saved. They'll never accept Christ. They'll never repent. But don't give up on them because Christ did not give up on you. Continue to pour the gospel into them and share the love of Christ with them. But we have an obligation to share the gospel in these last days that we're living in. Let's continue looking here in the chapter. Let's look at verses 8 through 12. It says, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods, and they don't worship the gold image which you have set up. It's amazing. So Daniel tells us Chaldeans come before the king. Now, if you're wondering, what is a Chaldean? What does that even mean? Well, Chaldeans were actually a neighbor country. Chaldea was a neighbor country to Babylon. And the Chaldeans were so absorbed in the ways of Babylon that they were practically Babylonians. They're very, very similar, right? So these Chaldeans come and they go before the king and they accuse the Jews. They, they accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Please understand, these Chaldeans did not like the Jewish people. They hated them. And what drove them insane was that three Jewish men were in leadership positions over them. They didn't like that. So they bring this accusation before the king. Can't you see a similarity today? A lot of people bring accusations against Christians. They bring accusations against people sharing the gospel. What is our response? What was these men's response? Please understand, these, these men would not worship this golden image because God had commanded them in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship any other gods but me. And, and these three guys, they loved the Lord. And they knew this was the command that God gave his people. The Lord was their God, him alone. So let's see how the king responds. Let's see how Nebuchadnezzar responds to this in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Look at, the, look at that wording there. Daniel, again, he's very specific in his writing. Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury. This guy wasn't just mad. He wasn't just a little angry. He was furious. The word rage, it means anger that's uncontrollable. An anger that you just can't keep inside, you're just out of control. <laughs> the word fury, it means violent anger. And Nebuchadnezzar was in a little violent with his anger. We'll, we'll see that in the next few verses. So, to say the least, Nebuchadnezzar was very, very angry. Let's see what happens next. Verses 14 through 15. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, then you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? So Nebuchadnezzar, 
he wants to get the record straight. He brings these guys before him and he's like, so let me get this straight. You're not going to obey me? You're not going to do what I tell you to do and worship this image of me? And he says, if you don't, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. And there's no one who can deliver you out of my hand. No God. Now, this is very fascinating that this comes out of Nebuchadnezzar's mouth because if you've read the book of Daniel, you know in the previous chapter, Nebuchadnezzar was introduced to the one true God. Do you remember? Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he said, anyone who can interpret my dream and tell me the dream I had, because he probably forgot what he dreamt. So he was like, you need to tell me my dream and the interpretation of it. No one could do it. And Daniel came. And before Daniel interpreted and told the king his dream, he said, listen, no man can do on the face of the earth what you want, but there is a God in heaven who can. And Daniel, he shared about the Lord to Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar, who knew who the Lord was? He wasn't unfamiliar with this. But Nebuchadnezzar never truly believed the Lord at this point. He had no respect and he had no reverence for God. The world's the same today. The world is full of a lack of reverence for God and a lack of respect for who he is. And unfortunately, this has kind of spread to the church as well. Many people within the church, they've lost their reverence and their respect for God. They've lost sight of who God is. Even though God is seen through his creation, though God is seen through his word, though God is near to us, yet many people, they have irreverence for him. They have no respect for who God is and for what he's done for us. This is dangerous. This is what Nebuchadnezzar was full of. Now, let's see what these guys say in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I love that verse. Read that again. He says, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I love that response. These men, you know, they knew the cost. They knew what was at stake. He literally just told them, I'll throw you into a fiery furnace. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes I'll just go through my mind. It's strange. And I, I don't know if you do this, but I'll go through my mind the ways I don't want to die. And one of the ways I don't want to die is being burned. That's like a nightmare for me. Uh, it's slow. It's painful. It's hot. Right? I just don't, I don't want to die by being burned. So if I was Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego, I certainly would be very fearful. I would probably be shaken because I'd be really scared of this. But these guys, they knew what the cost was. They knew what was going to happen to them if they disobeyed the king. But they showed us that they're going to submit to God over man. We see a parallel with this in the book of Acts, don't we? With Peter and John being arrested and they said, you know what? We're going to obey God rather than men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they loved their God so much that they didn't even have to think about this. They didn't didn't say, okay, king, just give us maybe five minutes. Let me discuss this among the three of us. They didn't go to one another and say, hey, listen, we, we can just do this. We'll repent later. God will forgive us. That's not what they, that's not what they did. They're like, we don't even have to think about this. They were like-minded. They had eternity mindsets. They were focused on heaven. They would never turn their back on the Lord, their God. This is what the church lacks today, unfortunately. Eternity-minded believers. Christians who stand up and say, here I am, Lord, send me, do with me whatever you want. Christians who live in this world but who aren't of this world, who don't conform with sinful society and sinful ways. Christians who love the Lord and don't give up on their faith in the gospel. Many Christians, they want their faith to adapt with the times we're living in, but it just doesn't work like that. Times are changing. People change. 
But God never changes. His word never changes. And our faith in him should never change either. These men would not compromise. So what about you today? What are you compromising to? How are you responding to the news of the world and the state of the world we're in right now? What about society and politics today? Are you so caught up in it that your faith has suddenly taken a backseat to it? Is your faith backseat to your politics? Is your faith a backseat to your finances? Maybe COVID has taken the front seat. They're driving your car and Jesus is placed in the back. You know the Bible says don't fear, don't forsake fellowship, but COVID is driving the car, right? What is your faith taking a backseat to? Where are you compromising? Where are you compromising? These men would not compromise their faith. I love that. Let's see what they continue to say in verse 17 and 18. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods. We will not worship the gold image which you have set up. This is amazing. They continued the response to the king and they continued by saying that their God was greater than any man and any nation. Their God was greater than this fiery furnace. They trusted and they knew that their God was able to deliver them. These men were ready to die for their faith. These men didn't compromise because, please notice this, these men knew the cost of following the Lord. And I personally believe one of the biggest reasons so many Christians compromise and fall away from their faith is because they didn't count the cost. They didn't count the cost. They didn't, they didn't count what, what they could lose if they follow the Lord. Now, I want to draw your attention to verse 18 because this is really fascinating to me. I love this verse. They're like, yes, our God is able to deliver us. But then they say in verse 18, but if he doesn't deliver us, let it be known to you, we're still not going to do what you say. We're not going to turn away from the Lord and worship your false gods. That's true faith right there. True faith considers the cost of obedience. True faith considers Jesus worthy than anything. True faith is putting your relationship with Jesus Christ above everything else, above the consequences of following him. This is what Jesus meant when he said in the New Testament, if you don't hate father, mother, sister, child, or land for my sake, you're not worthy to follow me. Now, Jesus wasn't saying you really need to hate these things, but what he was saying is you've got to put him above all these things. These men were willing to die for the Lord because they put Jesus and they put their Lord above everything else. True faith doesn't compromise. True faith doesn't fit in with the world and the new trends and the fads of the world. True faith doesn't adapt to sinful society. True faith is not half-footed in the world and half-footed serving the Lord. True faith is all out for Jesus. Putting Jesus above everything else, no matter what the consequence, no matter what the critics will say about you, no matter what people will persecute you with. This is what true faith is. Stephen, a man of faith in Acts chapter 7, we're, we're talking about him every Sunday now. And Stephen was a man, and you know, when I read his defense in Acts, and I won't spoil it, I'm sure all of you know what happens to Stephen. <laughs> but when Stephen is on trial, I'm sure he knew he wasn't walking away. I'm sure Stephen knew when he was given his defense at his trial, I'm sure he knew that it was going to be the end for him. And he, he didn't think to himself, okay, well, let me, let me kind of say something that will get me off the hook. Let me say something to please these high priests, and then I can not worry about, you know, being martyred. No, Stephen didn't do that. He was going to give his defense of the Lord, and he was not going to turn away from his faith in Jesus Christ. He counted the cost. 
and he found Jesus worthy of the cost. This is what faith is. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 is a great chapter. You should read it. If you've never read it, it's an amazing chapter. The author of Hebrews, he writes this chapter about faith. He tells us what faith is. He tells us it's impossible to please God without it. And he gives us many examples of great men and women of faith in the word of God. And he goes through and he talks about Abraham and Sarah and Moses. And he he shares about their great faith and all the great things that happened because of their faith. But then at the end of the chapter, he changes it up a bit. Because sometimes you don't see the, the reward of your faith on this earth. Sometimes, well, all the time, our reward is heavenly, but sometimes you only see the heavenly aspect of it. And the author of Hebrews 11 said, other people full of faith, they were tortured, some were mocked, some were scourged, some were stoned, some were sawn in two, some were tempted, some were martyred. Maybe you're enduring hardships right now in your life or in your ministry, and the first thing that Satan puts in your mind is, I'm not called to this. God isn't leading me here because if God was leading me here, I wouldn't be going through all of this right now because God doesn't want me to suffer. He wants me to share the gospel. And if I'm to share the gospel, I need to be perfectly healthy. I need to have enough money to do it. I need to have all my supplies. Surely God's not calling me to do this, but that's not what faith is. Faith is following God no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what the consequence is. And sometimes when we faithfully follow the Lord, we're met with great adversity. So I want to encourage you with this. True faith follows the Lord and believes and trusts Jesus no matter what. But let me ask you this question. Have you weighed the cost? Have you weighed the cost of following the Lord? And is Jesus worth the cost to you? Let's look at verses 19 through 23. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't joking. He would not play it around. He was angry. He was really ticked off that these people disobeyed him. And not only did he throw them in the fire, he had it heated seven times as hot. I mean, that's, that's a great example of what sin does to you, right? That's a great example of what sin does in your heart. When you let sin sit there and fester, it becomes uncontrollable and violent. Right, Sin will destroy you as it was destroying Nebuchadnezzar in these verses. He was so angry, he didn't care about his guards. He said, turn that furnace up. I don't care what happens. They turned it up and his guards get killed because of it, but Nebuchadnezzar didn't care. His heart was so blinded by sin. This is what sin will do to you. Now what happens next? Do these guys die? Let's read in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste, and he spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. It's incredible. Nebuchadnezzar looked at the furnace. He saw not just three people, he saw four, because Jesus was with these three men who were thrown into the fiery furnace. Jesus was with them. And I hope this encourages you. You know, I just love to illustrate this and paint this picture in my mind. You just see this great fiery furnace. You see these guys in there, but you see Jesus with them in it. 
That encourages me. I hope that encourages you. Because just like Jesus was with these men, Jesus is with us in the trials and the tribulations we face. Jesus is with you when you take a stand at your workplace for the gospel. He's with you when you take a stand in your school for the gospel. He's with you when everyone else turns their back on you and when the world turns its back on you. He's with you when your own brothers and sisters turn against you. But Jesus is with us, and he will never turn his back on us, and he'll never turn his face away. He's with us. And when Satan attacks and does everything that he possibly can to destroy the ministry and the work of God that God is doing in our lives, we need to remember that Christ is with us. And sometimes, though, we lose sight of it. Sometimes we get so caught up in all the trials and maybe all the sickness and all the hard times that we're facing, and we get so caught up and we lose sight because of everything going on around the world. And here's the thing. It's out of your control. There's nothing you can do to stop it, right? And you, you see all this, and it discourages you. And you're like, is God really with me? Is God really calling me to this? Well, Paul gave us a response in Galatians 6, 9. And in Galatians 6, 9, Paul says, he says, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. If we do not lose heart, we will reap. But don't grow weary. Don't be discouraged. Don't grow weary while you're serving the Lord and while you're doing things to glorify his name and to further his kingdom. Whatever it is you're going through today, the Lord is with you in it. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to turn his back on you or forsake you. He is always faithful, even when we cannot see it. God was faithful. God was going to faithfully deliver these men from the fire. And even if these men died in the fire, God was still faithful. And he was still going to use these men and their testimony. Let's see what happens in verses 26 through 27, back in Daniel chapter 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. These guys come out. They didn't even have the scent of fire on them. Now, if someone's cooking, you know, here, people just cook on the side of the road. If I'm riding my bike and I go past their grill, I smell like smoke for the rest of the day. These guys were in a fiery furnace, and they didn't even have the scent of fire on them. That's supernatural. God supernaturally protected these men, and they came out of the fire. They were delivered. And maybe you read God's word, and you've, you've lost the wonder of it. You read about the flood. You read about God delivering Noah and all the animals. You read about the exodus, and you read about the walls of Jericho falling down, and you read about these men being delivered from the fire, and you've lost the wonder. These are like children's church tales to you. They're like children's stories. Your heart has become hardened to them as you've gotten older or as you've continued to serve in ministry. And you've lost the wonder of the Lord and the wonder of what our God is and what he's able to do. But I want to encourage you with this. We serve the very same God today. He has not changed. We still serve a God of miracles. We still serve a God of deliverance. And we serve a God who is Lord and sovereign, who is always on the throne no matter what is going on. Because all authority belongs to the Lord, not man. So where is your trust? What is your faith in? Is your faith in the Lord? Have you lost the wonder of who Christ is? Does Christ excite you? Do you get excited to read his word in the morning? Do you get excited to talk to the Lord in prayer? What is your faith in? Verses 28 through 30. It says, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. 
And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made in ash heap, because there is no other god who can deliver like this. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. These men had unwavering faith, and because of this, it turned into an opportunity for ministry. Turned in for an opportunity to further the gospel and to share the Lord to the king, the, the most powerful man on the planet. These men were able to share the gospel with him. Why? Because they were faithful. Because they didn't turn their back on the Lord. You know, when I read this chapter, it kind of troubles me a little bit. Because, you know, was there no one else who stood up to the king's decree? Was there no other followers of the Lord who said, I'm not going to disobey my God? We only read about three of them. What about the others? And sometimes we, we have that attitude as Christians. Well, well he's not following the Lord. She, she's in sin. She, she's not living for the Lord. He's not living like Jesus. And you get so caught up with how people are living their lives around you that you lose sight of how you're living yours. What about your faith? These men... They, they weren't concerned about everyone else. They were concerned about following their God. They were concerned about not compromising their faith in Him. What about you? If these men had compromised, if they had worshipped this image of Nebuchadnezzar, they not only would have compromised their faith, they would have also compromised their witness. They would have compromised their validity in their faith. How would the world look at them? They're like, oh, well, you claim to follow the Lord, yet you turned away from Him to worship that statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And sometimes we can do the very same thing. Our vocabulary is very sinful. We have some sinful words in our vocabulary. We're watching very sinful things or listening to sinful things. Or in an influence of very ungodly people who we're not sharing the gospel with. Well, what about when an unsaved person looks at you? What kind of a witness is that? That's a flawed witness then. Because in you they see a reflection of themselves and not Jesus Christ. But these men, these men when people looked at them, they saw the Lord in them. They saw their faith in a God who is greater than anything on this earth, and it turned into an amazing opportunity for ministry. Now, I do want to say this one more time. Sometimes it doesn't always turn out like this, right? Sometimes you don't get delivered from the fiery furnace. Sometimes you only see the reward of your faith in heaven. And that's okay because Jesus Christ, again, is greater than anything on this earth. These men not only show that they had something worth living for, but they had something worth dying for. And that type of a witness will never die. Because the Holy Spirit of God gives the increase. And when people see us living for Jesus, the Spirit is going to honor that. The Spirit is going to use that. So be faithful, no matter what trials you're in or what the devil's attacking you with. But don't compromise your faith and don't put anything above your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me conclude with this. Today we looked at three men who didn't compromise in their faith. We saw an example of true faith. A faith that has considered the cost and still has found Christ worthy of the cost. There are many people compromising today. Will we be one of them? Will, be, will we be a church that compromises and turns away from the Lord who redeemed us? Again, our faith doesn't change and adapt to society. Our faith should adapt to the word of God and to the commands that God has given us. Be faithful, and the Lord will honor it. But we're living in the last days, and the world is hungry, starving for the gospel, starving for it. The world is starving for hope and starving for the peace that only Christ can give. But how will the world hear unless... We're faithful to the Lord, right? The Lord can do anything. He doesn't need to use us. He wants to use us. But let's be faithful. Let's be faithful to the call that God has given us. Because we have a hope that cannot die and a kingdom that can't be shaken. So let's be bold in our faith. I want to close with a verse from Proverbs 28, verse 1. 
He says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. This is how we need to be in our faith, bold like a lion. A lion is called the king of a jungle for a reason, because the lion's not scared of any creature. It doesn't matter how big it is. It doesn't matter how fierce it seems. A lion's not scared. A lion is bold, and as Christians, we need to be the very same way. Bold and unafraid and unashamed to share the gospel of Christ. So please pray with me, and then we'll continue our time in worship. Heavenly Father, just thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us and for this time we've had to study your word together. And I pray, Lord, as we read about these men of faith, I just pray increase our faith today, Lord. Meet us where we're at. For anyone who's struggling uh, with worry, with fear, with doubt, I pray, Lord, you just remove these things. Lord, recenter our attention and our focus and may it not be on the things of this world, but on you in serving your son, Jesus Christ, in the gospel. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for saving us. And may you be glorified in and through our lives. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we continue to commit this time of worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen.